Heavenly Father, thank you for the living hope that we have. The living hope that reminds us that one day we will be with you. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sadness. These broken, rickety old bodies will be replaced with brand new, perfect ones. And we can't wait. In fact, we groan for that redemption to take place, that final stage of perfection. We long for it. And Father, because of that, we give you thanks for the breath that you have given to us to praise you. The breath that you have given to us to exalt you and to glorify you and to honor you. You are such a good God. You are not only a good God, but you are faithful. You're loving, you're generous, you're patient, you're kind. All those things that at times we probably take for granted. But Father, I pray that each one of us here this morning as we sit here would be filled with gratitude because of who you are and what you have done. Father, we're thankful for the salvation that you have given to us. Father, we were once stuck in darkness, in the mire, in the clay, and you, by your grace, reached down to our lives and plucked us out of that and set us on the solid rock of salvation. And it was given to us by the blood of your precious son, the Lord Jesus. He, he went to the cross for us and spilled his blood so that our sins would be forgiven. And because of that, we are part of your family. Thank you. Thank you. We thank you for grace. We thank you that we could be here this morning and we could love on one another, care for one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, help one another. Father, all of those things, thank you for the family that we have here. We thank you for the family that we have at Peckway as well. We thank you for Pastor Jesse as he ministers there. And we thank you for the mighty work that you're doing there. And we are also thankful for what you're doing at Bethel. And we're thankful for Pastor Jake, who's preaching your word today. And we pray that your spirit, spirit would work mightily there. And Father, we pray the same here. As Pastor Addison comes as your instrument to bring forth your word, your living word, and it's a living word because it's supposed to be lived out through us. It's supposed to change us, and then we are supposed to live it so that others could see that we are different. Lord, I pray that you would do that in us today as we look into your word. We pray your spirit would work in us, open up our hearts and our minds, give us understanding to your word, and then also help us to apply it as we go from this place today. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to continue our worship as we look at Psalm 96 this morning. 
Psalm 96. I'll be reading all 13 verses, and I need to put these things on or I won't be able to see anything. Here we go. Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. And let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is God's word. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. Well, good morning. On Thursday, we're all going to get together with our families, and some of us will engage in something of a little tradition. And that tradition is going around the table and asking everybody a question, and that question is, what are you thankful for? Does anybody do that? I'm finding, I'm finding not a great conversion rate on this question. Okay, you guys are the most grateful, grateful service. Uh, it's, good to be, it's good to be among fellow grateful people. Um, I've been with just a bunch of ingrates all weekend, um, if, we're, if we're being honest. Um, I shouldn't have said that, but we don't record this service. Um, so... We're having a good time. Um, anyway, you know, the nature of that question is meant to somewhat ritualistically remind ourselves what we're thankful for, right? And it's a helpful question to ask ourselves, even if it's not around, you know, a Thanksgiving table um, where you hear about, you know, your 10-year-old cousin who's thankful for video games and, and all that sort of stuff. But, but to, to truly reflect on, you know, what in life am I, am I thankful for, whether it be, you know, past or present or future, what... What am I thankful for? And in the spirit of, of that question, I want to ask you a couple questions that I believe that this verse asks us today. Because when you look at it, it's just really a, a worship song. Really, that, that's what it is, is. It's a worship song of ancient Israel. And um, the great part about the Psalms is you can read one 13-verse psalm, and you kind of get the whole picture, right? Some psalms have, you know, a historical background or a setting. This is not really one of those psalms. It's basically just a song about who God is, and, and, and we, we read it and we learn about who God is and, and how he would have us live. And if we reflect on the lyrics of this song, um, if you will, we, we find kind of some intrinsic questions for us as we read it here today. And the first question is, do I believe that he is worthy of my praise? Is he worthy of my praise? Let's read the verse just one more time. 
Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. These are great words that describe a great God. And, and we sing, you know, words like this when, when we worship together here, right? And maybe you've never thought about the lyrics. Maybe you're like, okay, I just got to get a feel for the melody. I got to make sure I'm not singing when somebody around me isn't singing because I don't want them to hear my voice, you know, and, and, um, you know, and you're just trying to figure that out. But, you know, if we look at these lyrics, we sing the t- same type of stuff. In the 8 a.m. service, we sang all creatures of our God and King. And one of the verses goes like this, all the redeemed washed by his blood. Come and rejoice in his great love. Oh, praise him. Christ has defeated every sin. Cast all your burdens now on him. And to open this service, we sang, or I'm sorry, during our worship set, we sang the hymn of heaven. And every prayer we prayed in desperation, the songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear. In the end, we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears. And finally, let everything that has breath. We refuse to go through the motions when the king is in the room. Hear the sound of our devotion. Let it build a throne for you. So I think if we were to go around the room, we would ask, is God worthy of our praise? I think we would pretty quickly say, well, yeah, God's worthy of our praise. God's, God's good. God's, God should be praised for being good. The psalm would certainly say that God is good. And, and I think we know this at some level. Even if you're somebody who is, you know, maybe doesn't consider yourself a Christian, you've probably observed a Christian living their life and you've seen them do something good, like giving food away or giving their time away or helping alleviate something in in the world, and you've said, well, that's a good thing. That's probably what God would have them do. And when we say that, we're basically saying that we believe that their God is a good God who would want them to do good things. And again, that's from the perspective of someone who maybe, even if you don't necessarily have a Christian view of, of who God is. But the reason, so you might wonder, like, well, how then does this verse ask that? Well, the reason is because, really two questions. Number one, do you think that we really believe the words of the worship songs that we sing kind of all the time, right? I know that's like kind of an uncomfortable question. I get it. But let me just kind of reflect on it in front of you as, as I thought about it. And then that way you can't get offended um, because I'm just talking about me. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, if I really believed that, that God was good, I, I would trust him. And if he was good and holy, it means that he can't sin. And that means that he can't sin against me. So that would mean that he's not withholding anything from me that would be good for me. He's not holding out. He's not absent. He's not leaving me wanting. In fact, it would mean that I believe that he has never done any wrong to me in any way. Right, if I, if I fully believed the Bible's picture of God at all times, and again, if I can be honest, I'm, I'm not always there, right? I'm not always there. There are times where I wish God made me differently. I wish God didn't give me some of the struggles in my life that frustrate me, 
right? I, I think, you know, whether it's just like being able to focus for long periods of time or what have you, there, there are things that I see in my life that I go, man, I, I just wish that was different. And it's easy to believe that God is good when things are good, but when you're kind of confronting those types of things, it can be frustrating. So my first question as we reflect on do I believe God's goodness, it's, you know, do we truly believe it? But secondly, what about those times when it's specifically difficult to believe it, right? Because we could talk about, you know, oh, well, I have to believe who God is because my behavior follows my beliefs. And if I don't, if I don't believe that God is trustworthy, I'm not going to act in a way that trusts him. I'm going to take things back into my own hands. We could talk about just that. But when we talk about God's goodness, another thing pops into my mind, which is this idea of what if my life experience is dissonant with the concept of God being good, right? Because if I'm going through a bad thing, right? If I'm going through a tragedy or a hurt or a difficulty, whether it's long-term or short-term, whether it's sudden or whether it's, you know, throughout my life, I, you have a tough time with the idea, well, well, God's good and he's on his throne and you just, you just got to Get out there, kid. You know what I mean? And that's, that's hard to process, right? Because my experience says something different. And, and frankly, if we can be honest, and I, I think there's a story about C.S. Lewis where he says something incredibly helpful here. C.S. Lewis was a famous theologian who um, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia series, but also many theological texts. And there's a story of him being at his, the, the funeral of his wife, who he, he met later in life, and she eventually, would, um, she eventually would die of cancer. And there's this story from her funeral of, of a gentleman who came up to C.S. Lewis and said, well, your faith must be of such great comfort to you right now. And C.S. Lewis looked at him and said, my faith is of no comfort to me at all. And his point was that when I'm going through tragedy, when I'm going through difficulty, it's much easier to believe that the throne room is empty. It's much easier to believe that we're just protoplasm at this temperature, that there is no bigger purpose, that this is just chaos and I just lost the lottery, right? Because if it's all random chance, I, I can't complain too much, right? It just, it just happened. But if there is a God who is sovereign and if there is a God who is in control, then that creates a dissonance in me that I have to process. And if you've been through something difficult, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because, because you're confronting your belief that God is good, that God cares, that God is in control with your lived reality. Now, I tried really hard to tie this up. I read apologetics texts on the goodness of God. I, I, read, I, I tried to dive in and I said, you know, we're going to wrap this up with a bow. We're going to make everybody feel great. And I got to, you know, towards the end of the week and I was still struggling with it. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, Alyssa, I, I'm having trouble finding a handle on this. Like, because it doesn't, I, I just feel like we're not going to know on, on this side of heaven. And she said, well, you know, you could tell, uh, you know, a story. And, and we talked about something that happened in our lives. And I, I do want to share that story because I think it provides some, maybe not an answer, but something of a comfort. And in the fall of 2021, so about two years ago, um, Alyssa and I learned that we were expecting our third child. And in the first few weeks, we didn't really tell anyone, as you do, you kind of keep it under wraps, and um, as you're still kind of figuring things out. And um, at around that time, Pat Baker, who was one of the founding members of GCC, um, had gotten sick and was in the hospital. 
And so Pat's in the hospital, and Pat and I had developed a relationship over COVID because she was sick all throughout COVID with some respiratory stuff, and she wasn't really around. So as the online pastor, I was interacting with her regularly, and um, I had visited with her and Dean um, in their home. We actually shot an interview video that we've you've probably seen, and um, and you know I just developed a really good relationship with Pat, and she asked that I would visit her in the hospital, and I went, and and we read the scripture together, and we prayed. And and um, Alyssa and I made the decision before that to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell Pat, right? I'm, I'm going to tell Pat that we're expecting another baby. And I told Pat. And, um, and I left. And it would turn out that that would be the last time I would see Pat because she would pass away on December 9th. Um, on December 11th, Alyssa would suffer a miscarriage of that pregnancy. In those two weeks, we grieved that loss, and it was very difficult um, we talk about babies quite a bit in December at church, um, and it was it was challenging to to walk through that, and it was it was challenging for Alyssa, it was challenging for me as her spouse, and, and we and we dealt with this loss, and there was a dissonance between my belief that God was good and that He cared with this seemingly random tragedy. Then on December twenty fourth, I was here at church at one of our many services that we do at Christmas, on Christmas Eve, and Alyssa was home, um, home with the kids, and, and she was sitting there, and the mail came. And she opens the mail, and there was a card from Gwen Belicher. Now, caveat here, Gwen didn't know that Pat and I were friends. You know, Gwen knew that we had suffered a miscarriage, and she knew that... Um, and she knew that Pat had passed away. And we got a card from the mail, and Alyssa opened it, and it said this. I want to share with you a dream I had last night, or a dream I had. At 5 a.m. on December 17th, I saw a vision of Pat Baker in heaven rocking and holding your baby in her arms. It was very vivid. I'm not sure why God gave me that vision, but I pray it will give you both some peace. You see, in the midst of that season of our life that was difficult, God showed up for Alyssa. God showed up and said, I'm the God who sees. I'm the God who sees you. I am Emmanuel, God with us. And stepped into her story and my story, knew what Alyssa and I needed and provided for it. So I said I didn't think I could wrap up tragedy in a nice little bow, and I still can't. But what I can tell you is that he sees you and that he cares and that you are not left alone. And there are answers that we won't have on this side of heaven. There are things that you will carry with, carry with you throughout your life and you won't have a clean answer for them. And that's okay. But what you have to know is that God sees you and cares for you and that he's walking with you. You are not left alone. He sees you and he's with you. And we're all a work in progress. So give yourself some grace. Amen. Because I, I think sometimes, you know, this was, I didn't say this in any of the services. We're so hard on ourselves with this stuff, right? It's like, oh, I just, I'm just not over it yet. What would you say to a friend who said that to you? Is, is a question worth asking yourself, right? Because we, we tell ourselves this narrative and we say, well, I just know that God's, you know, not happy because I, I'm still struggling with this and I'm still not over it. If your close, close friend came to you and said, hey, I, I went through this thing and, and I'm just having a tough time with it and I just feel like God's mad at me because I, I just won't get over this, what would you say to your friend? You would say, well, that's not true. God's not mad at you. God, God loves you. 
You know, he, he, he's walking with you, right? He, he cares about you. He cares for you. You wouldn't, and you would tell your friend that, do you think that you're more gracious than God? So, so examine your self-narratives here because we, we tell ourselves that, oh, well, you know, God, God's upset or God's disappointed. You know, Jesus loves you. And I know that's like a pretty basic thing to say, but it's not, he's not hand-wringing over you having a tough time getting through something. He's walking through it with you and he's comfortable with you being a work in progress. And our decision to praise as best I can in the midst of life's valleys is a statement that I believe in the character of God even when I don't see tangible evidence of his character in my own personal life. And that's the first question that we're asked. The second question is, are you welcomed in? Psalm 96, 7 to 10 says, Ascribe to the Lord, you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into the courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. You see, the point here is that as they were worshiping God, that God wanted the Israelites to remember that your praise of God is going to draw people in. That your praise of God, your hope anchored in, in the character of God is going to naturally draw people in. And we simply have to believe that God's table is bigger than we can ever imagine. That it has room for every single one of us. That it has space for the people that are like me and the people that are least like me. And this is communicating that idea of all the families of the earth. And the Bible says in another place that all the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. And Paul in the book, in the letter to the Galatians explains that that played out through Christ, that everyone is welcomed in. And we're thankful because most of us are, you know, non-Jewish people who have been welcomed in. And there is no caveat to the welcome. You are invited in. And the perp if you're a Christian, the purpose of your praise is for other people to hear about and follow your good God. And so that's the second question. And the third is honestly the one that kind of caught me kind of, okay, what's going on here? Because when I was, when I was, I, you know, I, I looked, you know, I looked ahead, I looked at the schedule, I saw the verse, and I said, oh, okay, let me, let me quickly read it, because I obviously have it memorized, but I don't want to, you know, trust my memory. Um, that was a joke. Um, best jokes are the ones you have to explain. Um, but, um, but, you know, I went back and read it, and, um, and, you know, the pray, and I thought, oh, okay, it's just like a praise psalm about how good God is. We're going to talk about how good God is on Thanksgiving. We're going to talk about thanking God. And then in verse 10, it kind of takes this weird left turn. He says, the world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. When I read it, I was like, wait a minute. Isn't judgment like bad and scary? Right? Like, I, you know, it's like he's praising God and he says, like, God's coming to judge. It's awesome because God's coming to judge. Have a good one. Like, that, that's how the psalm ends. It's just like how great judgment is. And I was like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I kind of wrestled with it a little bit and then I realized something. I realized that 
we only fear judgment when we don't believe that the one doing the judging isn't, is good, right? We only fear judgment when we don't believe the one doing the judging is good. If we believe the judge is good, then his presence is welcome, right? If we believe the judge is good, we are, we're, we're thrilled when he comes onto the scene. We're, we're, we're saying, ah, oh, there he is. He has the power, he has the authority, he's, he is good, he's going to fix this. This is, this is incredible, thank, thank God he came, right? Like, you know, when we believe that the judge is good, we rejoice when the judge comes. And so it got me thinking about, you know, in the world we live in, we could find a thousand reasons to be horrified at what's happening in the world. And, you know, sometimes I hear people say something like, oh, world's getting worse. Lord's coming back soon. World's, world's getting worse. World's, world's just getting so much worse. Lord's coming back soon. I just want to allow me to, is the world getting worse or are we just kind of more aware of what's going on, right? Because, like, it used to be that I could live most of my life and I could kind of only know what was going on in New Danville, you know what I mean? Um, I can only know what was going on in, um, you know, whatever small community I was in. And I could live a happy and informed life knowing about those things. Like, people just used to, like, go to bed on election night and found out what happened on November 5th, and no one died. You know what I mean? Like, like everybody, everybody made it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was, it was, it was fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it was, it, it just, you know, they used to score fantasy football. That used to be done with a newspaper. You know what I mean? Like, they would look at the stats the next day, and they'd be like, oh, I won. You know what I mean? They weren't watching it on late on Monday night about two teams you don't care about, like a, like a psychopath watching the scores change. This is, I, I do it, but come on, guys. This is insane. This is the behavior of an insane person. Um, like, you know. No, but like, we used to just know less of what was going on. And now we have 24-hour news networks that guess what the goal of a 24-hour news network is? To get you to watch it. Right? Like, that's, that's their whole, that's the whole thing. That is what they sit in meetings and talk about, is they say, how can we get eyeballs on this so we could sell those eyeballs to advertisers? And that's it. That's the game, right? And so, like, so it is constantly horrific because you don't want to miss something horrific because what would you do? And then on top of that, we have the internet that at any given time can inform you about any terrible thing that's happening somewhere in the world. And in case that's not enough, you have Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, if you're a recent convert, um, and, you know, and any, I'm just kidding. It's HBOX, it's fine. Um, you know, um, but like, you know, and you can watch a documentary about something you didn't know you were supposed to be outraged about, but by the end of the documentary, you're writing a letter to your congressperson. <laughs> I watched a documentary on Netflix one time, and it was about like the farm food stuff. And I came in and I said to Rob Barley, who owns, owns a large farm near, I said, Rob, do you know what's going on on farms? He was like, yeah, I mean, I do. Um, <laughs> um, you know, because like, because we can find outrage about anything. And, and here's the thing, I'm being a little goofy about it, but like, even if we talked about only things that were actually outrageous, we could find horrible things under every single stone. 
right? Like if we wanted to devote a couple days to it, we could have just a slew of people give 10 minute presentations on the worst things you've ever heard about from any number of countries, from any number of places right here in America, from any number of things where the poor are being crushed, where people are being taken advantage of, where no one is seeing any type of justice, where, where defenseless children are taken advantage of, where individuals are being trafficked, and we could go on endlessly with stories of things that someone should do something about. There is no shortage of those things. And so we sit here, and as much as we as Americans want to see ourselves as the liberators and we want to see ourselves as the fixers, and as much as we're about to enter a year where we're going to see hundreds of ads that are going to tell us that if we just got the right people in there, they would fix it, and that, you know, oh, democracy is really on the ballot this time. It really is, right? And like, you know, and we, we really got to worry about it, and we really got to wring our hands, and we really got to get the right people in there because this is the most important one of your lifetime. We thought it was four years ago, but it's actually this one and then you know and we and we want to tell ourselves that okay this could fix it the, the reality guys is that there's nothing we can ultimately do right we can we could start movements we can donate money we could donate resources and yes we could do some small part of alleviating suffering in the world and I believe that's important I believe it's important to reflect the character of Christ in helping people who need help but we're not gonna make any type of real dent. And I don't say that to be depressing. I say that because of what the good news is. And the good news is found at the end of the book. It says this, now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him and was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed of a robe dipped in blood and his name was called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed with fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule with a rod of iron and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that is why Psalm 90 verse 10 says that the heavens rejoice. That is why the earth is glad. That is why the seas resound. That is why the fields are jubilant. That is why the trees of the forest sing for joy. That's why creation is rejoicing. That's why they're happy because they too are groaning for redemption because there is this feeling of things are not right, but the message of the Bible is that someone is coming who will fix it. Amen. And we can trust him because he's good. And the king is coming. And we can trust the judge. He is greater than every government. His power is not limited. And this hope will not disappoint. Wars will cease. Every valley will be filled. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. There will be no more storms. And so we have this blessed hope put forth by this verse, and we have to ask ourselves, do I believe it? Do I believe that it's coming? Which is, again, wrestle with it. And also, do I trust the judge? Do I truly trust the judge? Because if you do, this is not the last chapter. The king and the judge is coming, 
And we can trust that what is wrong will be made right. We can hold on, we can rejoice, and we can give thanks. And the reason we can is what we're about to do. As we reflect in communion on the broken body and shed blood of Christ, our justice is satisfied, right? Because it's easy to talk about other people who have hurt people, but me too. I too have been the subject of someone's lament. I too have been the, the cause of someone's suffering. I too have aided and abetted in making life more difficult for someone. And my, the punishment that bought me peace was upon him. And that, 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 I, that I at the cross was justified. It was made as if I had never sinned. So I don't need to fear the judge, not because of my actions, but because of the judge's actions. That he already forgave me. And that when I reflect on the suffering of Christ, I can believe that the wrath of God has been satisfied. And that I don't need to, I don't need to say he is coming with a sense of fear and dread, but I can say he is coming with a sense of hope. And I can believe that he is coming and he will make all things right and that I am on his side. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you've chosen to reveal yourself to us and we thank you for your patience that as you reveal yourself to us, you give us space and time and margin to grow and reflect you more totally, that we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we can live up to what we have already attained, that I can reflect you more over time, and that I can wrestle with these truths, and I can, I can ask myself, do I really believe this? Does it really work itself out in my life? And that you are patient and kind. I pray specifically for anyone who's suffering this morning, that, Lord, you would be a balm to their needs that you would, you would speak to them through either someone in their lives or through just you know, a small voice to them, that you would just let them know that you are here and that you are with them, and that they would know that you care, that you see them, and even as we live in the dissonance, that you are with us. And Lord, I pray that as we, as we go from here, we would trust you. We would trust the judge, because the king is coming, and he's going to fix it. I pray that you would help us to remember that when the things you're going to fix feel louder. And I pray that you would help us to remember that you are with us and that you're coming back. We ask this in your name. Amen.